Spire. Welcome back to Starting Now. I'm your host, Jeff Saris. This is the show where I talk to entrepreneurs to reveal the unexpected paths to entrepreneurship. Today, my guest is Matt Diavella. Matt's most known for his uh, feature-length documentary, Minimalism, which we were um, able to have a small part in um, producing with him, and also now his extremely successful YouTube channel, which just, just crossed 3 million subscribers. But shortly after the documentary came out, he decided to start building his own platform. And he has done an absolutely amazing job in not only creating entertaining and educational content that stands out, but like really building the the persona and the, I, I hate to say even brand of Matt. It, it is a... It has been wonderful to watch, so it was really great to have a few minutes to catch up a bit and dive into his story. Um, He's currently on hotel quarantine in Australia, as him and Natalie just uh, moved there, at least for the time being. So we had a few few interruptions with uh, phone calls to the room and whatnot, but um, that aside, I think it was a great conversation, and I hope you really enjoy it. So without further ado my conversation with Matt Diavella. I'm going to record a video here. I'll try to send it to you. I'll see if the, the connection is <laughs> good enough to send it here, but um, oh, yeah. it's a little bit uh, shoddy right now. We're stuck in hotel quarantine at the moment, so um, just kind of making the best <laughs> with what we got. So yeah, what is what does that entail, hotel quarantine? I mean, can uh, you leave the room or? <laughs> no, you're actually not allowed to leave the room. We um, Yeah, we... <laughs> Yeah, we got to Sydney. It's been a week now. We've been living inside this room <laughs> here, uh, which has been uh, an interesting uh, experiment, to say the least. We got here a week ago, um, and we we were escorted from the airport uh, via bus uh, from the military to the hotel. They don't give you a key. Um, you wow. have to sign in, give all your information, let them know what flight you were on. That way they can do any contact tracing. Uh, they test you the second day and the 10th day that you're there. And on day 14, if you pass all the tests, you're allowed to go out into the world. And it's crazy because Sydney has done and uh, Australia has done an amazing job with managing COVID. And it's like they have, you know, almost no cases here, uh, no no locally transmitted cases, which is amazing. And it's also kind of surreal because we looked outside the bus on the way from the airport to the hotel and like seeing people walk around and like not wearing <laughs> masks and not socially distanced was bizarre, <laughs> but it's uh we'll be here for the next few months. So we're excited just to spend time with family and friends and make the most of it. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's wild that the military actually takes you straight from the airport over. I mean, is that, did it seem like there were a lot of people or do you sort of have any gauge for how many people are coming in and going through this? They they restrict the limit of how many people can come into Australia, so it wasn't easy. We booked our flights months ago, um, and all the flights are very expensive. We we happened to luck out and get an affordable flight that went through Auckland, New Zealand, that came here. Uh, I mean, affordable. It was like sixteen hundred dollars one way, uh, yeah. which I mean, flying to Sydney, it's 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 expensive no matter what. It's usually in the during this time of the year, it's like twenty five hundred dollars anyway. But we've seen some direct flights. $5,000 to Sydney. Um, and it's like, so there's a lot of people that are stranded and can't afford the flights to get home, which is really sad. Um, but we lucked out in finding some affordable flights. 
Um, and yeah, they like they escort you right from right from the plane. There's 400 people, I think. I don't know whether I think it's 400 people every week are allowed in Sydney. So it's not a oh, lot. Wow. It's a really yeah, it's a really, really small amount of people that are allowed into the into the city and into the country in general. And so, um, yeah, we lucked out to get here. Um, you know, I would say that the military is not as intimidating here. <laughs> they don't have like big <laughs> AR-15 machine guns and stuff. Everybody was super friendly and polite. And so it was cool to just uh, um, and everybody was like super cheery about it. And, you know, we lucked out. We got actually a balcony right here, uh, oh, nice. which is pr- probably all you could ask for in a, circ- a situation like this. Because yeah. at least we can have some fresh air <laughs> for two weeks. Uh, yeah. What is so? What is the week or so so far entailed then? Just being in those four walls. Is, are there multiple rooms, or is it really just like a single just room? Just one hotel? room, man. It's, it's a hotel. <laughs> yeah, it's a hotel room. It's one room. We have a bathroom, obviously, which is great. <laughs> you know, I I think all things considered, it's great. It's funny actually. When we got here, they gave us an option. We like we saw online when we got in that there were balconies. So we're like, oh, can we have a balcony? And the guy that was uh, assigning the room said, oh, I was actually going to give you, since you're a couple, I was going to give you uh, like a, a suite so you could have like an extra couch and like a side like living room and then the uh, bed bedroom. Um, or you can take the one with the balcony, which is just a simple hotel room. And so the, it was it became a hot debate where everybody was talking about it. That, like all the military there was like, oh, my God, what would you pick? Would you go with the balcony or the suite? And we decided uh, that we would rather go with the balcony because when we went into this whole thing, we were like, we weren't like, oh my God, we're not going to be able to sit on a couch for two weeks. <laughs> it was, <laughs> oh man, we're not going to be able to have fresh air and sunlight for two weeks. So yeah. uh, we got the balcony and we're definitely glad that we did. Mm-hmm, for but sure. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a weird experience. I might, I might uh, do a video <laughs> for it on the channel because it's, it's been kind of trippy because when you're in one room, you're not allowed to leave um, for, I mean, a week now you start to, to get to you a little bit, <laughs> but uh, all things considered, it could be worse. Yeah, I could imagine. And you have, mm-hmm. I mean, I saw you posted yesterday that you are essentially moved out. I mean, you're out there now for just the foreseeable future. How, how is that feeling? Like how, how has that been so far? Just that is a huge shift for you. I know Natalie's going back home and things, but mm-hmm. um, yeah, I mean, you for, to dump everything other than like some camera gear and things. How have you been holding up with that? <laughs> Yeah, well, you would know that it's, um, you know, having made the minimalism documentary together, like it's, uh, it's, it's not a foreign concept to me. I mean, I am a minimalist, but like, I was getting into a groove of my life where even though I was a minimalist, and I am very intentional with everything I own, I was getting into a settle down place. I mean, this year, Nat and I, we were supposed to get married, COVID happened, Uh, we were supposed to get married in Italy, actually. And then that became very apparent. It wasn't going to go through once the cases started to outbreak there in Italy. And so we ended up uh, pushing it a year and then we just had to push it another year and a half. So now it's like uh, we have another basically two years until our wedding. So it's been kind of difficult to, uh, you know, plan for the future. So that we, we, we had it all planned out and we kind of joked about it. We're like, all right, so Q2 next year, we're going to be getting married. Then Q3, (laughs) we're going to get a dog. And then Q2 next year, we're going to start trying to have kids and, you know, maybe find a house to settle down and then, you know, really become rooted with where we were living. And then, you know, with COVID in 2020, like so many people's lives, it just kind of got thrown up in the air. And we realized like, you know, what is life (laughs) right now? Like we, you know, we have, some stuff we have furniture we don't have a ton of material possessions but it was still felt like it still felt like it was holding us back um and then like i came up with the idea i was like hey now what if we just go to australia for you know 
uh, a few months or so, three, five months. Let's just kind of like ride it out. Australia is doing great with managing COVID. Her brother just had a baby. And so we were like, like we really just want to be close with family right now. And we, it's been two years since we've been back to Sydney. And so it just made the most practical sense instead of keeping our place and subletting it and having to worry about that. Um, you know, I've never been attached to, you know, physical uh, possessions. And so uh, Natalie has a little bit, <laughs> not not as much or not, not, not terribly bad compared to most people. But um, it was a conversation. I mean, we, we had to like really figure out what's the smartest, what's the most practical way to go about this. And we decided, you know what, let's just like get rid of 95% of our possessions. We got a tiny storage locker and, you know, I put some of my extra camera gear in there. I put some uh, Natalie's wedding dresses in there and, you know, just some things that, um, and also like really some small things like uh, kitchenware or toaster, like some small things that could fit in boxes. We're like, all right, we got like six, seven boxes. Let's fill it up with the essentials because like maybe the one thing we didn't want to, maybe it's yeah, silly to sell as well and then have to buy it again short, potentially shortly and whatnot. Yeah. I mean, it really, it's like, yeah, there's the hassle of buying the stuff, which I think is definitely, I think a, a, a motivator to like, just hold on to it. Uh, but then it's also like the and I, I, this has been something that I've been more and more focused on lately. I never got into minimalism for the environmental aspect of it. But like I just felt very guilty even about the things that we did buy new and then sold. You think about all the packaging and the shipping and everything that got it there. And so in the future, we're like, all right, like the next place we live, let's whether it's temporary or permanent, let's try to get as much used furniture as we can. Let's like go to flea markets. Let's like because like. Yes, we can afford brand new. Yes, it's a little bit easier to buy everything brand new from West Elm, but it's it feels a lot better to know that we're not contributing to a bunch of unnecessary waste uh, for for trendy furniture that's going to go out of style in like three or four years. And for the same reason, we kept a lot of our, you know, the toaster and like the, the silverware and all that stuff because we don't want to like sell it or, you know, drop it off at Goodwill. Who knows if anybody gets any use out of it? Uh, now we know that we're going to be able to get use out of this stuff. Um, but it really wasn't a lot. It was like six boxes and everything else was packed into a couple bags to come to Sydney. Yeah, that has to feel good. And in terms of camera gear, yeah. do you feel any like right now, like right now, sort of day, whatever, seven, eight, nine, how are you feeling in terms of um, this new normal because you're going to be mm. getting back to producing videos. Cause I know you, you sort of, um, it looks like you, you put together all the videos ahead of time, you know, to really, which makes sense, you know, so you have things scheduled out so you don't have to worry about it like right now, but, um, I don't know how you far ahead think. you are. You, 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 you would think I would do that. Oh, really? uh, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, I have done that in the past and like I used to be really, really, really on top of things like I mean, even like 2018 when the channel really started to grow, I um, I, I mean, I would sometimes have like four weeks, you know, scheduled out and like it, it was a great feeling to be able to have that runway. I think these days I've just been so busy, like, um, you know, we just put out the a trailer for the new documentary, which is releasing mm -hmm. January 1st. And so like that was a huge project. And like whenever I'm and I, I launched a course platform this year as well. So it's like I had those two huge projects and balancing that with YouTube. There's no way that you can get ahead. And then also planning to like sell all of our stuff and move halfway around the world. It was like there was no chance for me to get ahead and maintain my sanity. And so I found in, in instances like this, when I do feel busy, I'm like, I'm not going to kill myself trying to get ahead. I'm going to take things slow and um, just kind of put out whatever I feel comfortable putting out. And then if I take some weeks off, I'll take some time off. Um, you know, I edited this video at the the most recent video at the the hotel here, the one uh, of us like 
are moving. Like I did have mm-hmm. to plan out like, all right, well, what videos do I want to make? Um, I need to shoot all this footage. Like I'm in the middle of a 30 day experiment uh, of using a flip phone for 30 days. And so mm-hmm. I had to plan that out. Like I'm like, all right, well, I need to shoot this footage. I need to shoot some cinematic B-roll while we have furniture in the apartment. And it was a stressful week because that's like we just sold the dining room table. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to like film around. I need to film these shots for this video before you sell this <laughs> thing tonight. Uh, so it was a, a little bit hectic, but yeah, playing the best we could. And to answer your question about the gear, it's, uh, it's been nice. Like I, and I, I wanted to make sure I'd be okay with like really a limited strappy set of gear. And so like a month before we knew we were flying, I started using nothing but that gear. So I was like, all right, nice. I'm going to, as difficult as it is, I'm going to pack this C500 away. I'm going to pack all these like lenses that I'm not going to bring with me. And I'm just going to shoot with my, my travel kit, so to speak. And, uh, it's been working out well. I mean, it's, uh, it's, I'm still kind of the laptop is an issue <laughs> for sure. Like <laughs> I I've been shooting 1080p, which is nice. Cause that's manageable on the, but even the MacBook pro, like the battery dies super fast. Um, and like the thing starts to heat up and I, I'm used to editing on an iMac pro. So that's one challenge I'm navigating. And technically I'm probably going to start like working more with proxy files and kind of I don't know how technical we get <laughs> here and like how I know you talk a lot about creative stuff, but I don't know. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, it's just us weeds. talking. Yeah, it's not. I mean, <laughs> I really feel like this is it's a small podcast, still growing, still figuring it out. And it's really just just a conversation just to, to catch up. So I yeah, don't feel any pressure on anything. <laughs> and no, anything I screwed it up. I screwed it up, Jeff. <laughs> Start over. <laughs> yeah. No, it's perfect. Um, yeah, that is the thing. Like I'm still running. So we don't upgrade gear like ever i have the gh4s those are handful of years old i'm still using the macbook air from i think it's 2013 <laughs> and it's oh, wow. like it's funny so I've, I've had an imac for a while so that is where i edit video but yeah i could i'd have to upgrade and do things to edit on the computer i couldn't imagine uh downsizing now after that screen because i mean final cut if the few times i've opened final cut on uh the macbook it's it's a little cramped just just a little bit you know <laughs> yeah yeah it, it, you definitely have to um i mean it was yeah you do feel a little bit claustrophobic editing on uh, the macbook pro when like you first get into it and it's um or when you first like downgrade from like a really big imac screen down to the macbook pro but i've found that it's um you start to get used to how to optimize your screen how to hide certain windows so you only have the most you know the most important stuff there because like with the imac pro you could just leave certain panels open you can leave the color grading wheel open and it's really not going to get in the way but like it has been a bit of a a learning process but that's how i started out though you know i for years i edited on a macbook pro and so i and like without having x having an external monitor and so it really didn't bother me all too much to to kind of downgrade you just have to kind of get used to it we'll see how it goes i mean if it i I'm not fully satisfied with the, I have the R5, the Canon R5 now, and I'm not fully satisfied with like the 1080p on it, um, which I have been using. And so I think I want to start shooting more in the 4K that comes built in, but that's when my computer really starts to put up a fight. And so we'll see if the proxy files work. If they don't, um, I just have to figure out a solution because it's difficult, right? Because I'm going to be here for five months and I don't want to buy a new computer here. Um, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. That's yeah. a future Matt problem. Oh yeah, for sure. That's the way to do it. Always leave it for future Matt. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. So the first doc was now what? Five years ago when, when it was five, six years ago, when was it started? 2014? 
Well, and, it started, yeah, 2014 is when uh, I think, I, th I remember January 1st, 2014, like I got the first little bit of B-roll, but it was like the documentary didn't really, really start shooting, I think, for a few months after that. Yeah, and we probably met maybe four or five months before that for the test run for the tour, I think it was, right, in New York City at the One Bookstore. Yep. Yeah, so I mean... Yeah, that was two thousand. That was summer 2013, I think. Is that okay, right? Yeah, that would make sense. Something like that. Yeah, a few things have changed since then. Yeah. A little, little different. <laughs> a couple of things. <laughs> but yeah. Bit. So the process of that film, I mean, that was several years, super tiny team. The new documentary, that one is a Netflix original. Netflix bought it. Mm -hmm. But now you've been spending three, three plus years shooting, reshooting, changing the whole direction, and it's a much larger team. What are some of the things that you've, that maybe you learned from the first doc that you applied to the second? And um, how how did it compare having more more resources, a, a larger team behind this one? I feel like every time I finish a really big project like this, I'm like, oh my God, like I would have done so many things differently. Like, oh, I should have learned my lesson from the last one that I shouldn't have done that again. And it's like, you're you're always learning and you're always trying to kind of improve upon the things that you learned from the last one. And I actually just had a call with uh, the production team that I had shot with uh, the last documentary or the, yeah, the most recent documentary with just to be like, all right, guys, what like did we do wrong there? What, what should we not have done? What could we do differently uh, next time? And some things were like, you know, just shooting on, we, we had, Oh my, it ended up being, cause my, my DP is the one that did the color grade and he's the one that did the color grade on minimalism as well. And the one uh, mistake that we really made was that we just shot on too many cameras. And that's in, in part because of COVID. COVID happened and then we had to get really scrappy. And then I had to shoot a lot of stuff in the apartment by myself. Um, and so I'm shooting with a different camera than he's shooting. And then we shot with reds for the main cinematic stuff. And there were two different kind of reds. And then when all that comes into play and he's color grading it, it's really difficult to match and make the whole film feel kind of cohesive and tied together uh, in a way that you know, when I shot minimalism, it was all by myself. I shot on maybe three cameras, right? If you count the GoPro, um, which was like maybe just a couple shots in the dock, but it was, it was pretty straightforward. And so like, that was kind of a big lesson. Um, you know, I, I think that what I'm realizing now is that you never really have the story locked in until you start shooting. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, the one mistake that we made on this film is that we initially set out to shoot it as a kind of like a strictly like a monologue with recreation scenes so everything was really cinematic everything like it was amazing to be on these productions and also at the same time equally draining <laughs> like i'm not used to the those kind of production days although it's seems to be pretty standard in hollywood where you have like 12 to 14 hour days of filming i mean for me it was probably like 14 to 16 hours because i'm you know up in the morning prepping the shot list and making sure everything is uh, airtight and then you're just shooting day after day after day and so it is it is quite exhausting and um it's, it was a totally different style of filmmaking because like it's like all right well we have 30 shots that we can get today and that's all we can get and this is not like and we have to have every single shot planned out meticulously because you have 30 people on set that are um you know doing the the, the, the costume design, the hair, the makeup, they're doing the, the um, you know, making sure that the set is 
ready to go. And like we had one room where like it doubled as two different set locations. So we ripped all the furniture out and then we like had it like set up where it was like Ryan as a child painting his house with his dad. And then we brought all the furniture back in and then like re reset and then shot a different scene. And now it wasn't uh, Ryan's childhood home or the home he was painting. It was the uh, Josh's mother's house and it was cluttered and filled with stuff. So it's like just to be able to manage all those kind of shots and bringing stuff in and out and figuring out when to do everything. You can only get like 20 to 30 shots in a day. And um, we moved really, really fast uh, for a big production uh, and or at least a bigger production than I was used to. This wasn't like Lord of the Rings, <laughs> but <laughs> it was still like a lot, uh, a lot of a lot of planning. And so like to a degree that can be frustrating for a filmmaker like myself who is used to do it yourself, very scrappy, like let's just let's just shoot the damn thing. Like let's I could get like 50 shots in two hours if I was just by myself. Granted, it's not going to look as beautiful and it's not going to be as polished and everything. Um, but I think there were lessons there in terms of the kind of films that I like to make and what I would want to do on the next one. And I think I would I, I like the more documentary feel. I mean, the thing is that we, we set out to do this thing like more like narrative style feature film, like recreations and a monologue. And it was like all beautiful. But then, you know, when we chopped it up with Netflix and we started talking about it, it became clear that the direction of the film needed to head more into a documentary and less into a film. So it didn't feel enough like a documentary. It didn't explore enough. We didn't have any interviews. We didn't, you know, it just didn't uncover enough that was different from the first film and go in kind of a, a deeper direction. So I think that's what, um, that, there's a lot there, but I think those are kind of like the big lessons, at least personally for me. Yeah. And initially it was, it was sort of bridging the gap between like a comedy special and, and <clears throat> excuse me, comedy special and Josh and Ryan's um, tour, essentially their, their speech, everything they would do on tour. So, and I know you had shot that several times at it just right, had a beautiful space that you guys uh, got in LA. Yeah. And I mean, there was so much that went into it. And essentially you, you made a left turn at the one point. Was, mm -hmm. it, was it something that you guys were feeling when you were seeing it? Was it something when you really came together, sort of got some distance, spoke with the team and like the Netflix team and everyone? Um, where was the, the biggest sort of impetus to make the, make the shift? Yeah, that's a great question. So like you said, um, you know, we initially, I mean, I forget even what year it was. It must have been like 2000, 2017 um is when we so 2000 late 2016 is when minimalism released early 2017 we're like all right let's go baby let's get back into it let's start shooting something so we just like hit the road and did the same thing where we're like all right let's hit the road and just start filming and then i was like quickly started to realize this feels like this is just we're doing minimalism again and i'm sorry i'm like i don't know i'm hiccuping <laughs> but i was like it feels like we're doing minimalism again and it just doesn't feel like i you know it doesn't feel like we're going in a different direction with it and so then you know but we just traveled around the country for a month or two just like capturing footage and some of it ended up making it into the film uh but most of it didn't and then it was this idea came across where we're like hey josh and ryan have been giving this talk for like eight years now it's it's a beautiful talk it's touched a lot of people can we do something where we kind of create this monologue this this you know we, we capture this performance and then it's almost like a, a comedy special and you know now there's actually more of a precedent Brene Brown while we were doing during production she came out with like a live talk on Netflix and so mm -hmm. there's like kind of like now a, a format for that there's it's it's being done uh, but at the time there that just wasn't out there 
And so we tried to do that and we tried to do it ourselves. We didn't actually have Netflix on board at the time in the very beginning. We just said, all right, let's like, let's try to just kind of record our own special. And it was like, let's get a beautiful warehouse. Let's fill it with 200 people two times over. Uh, you know, we did two shows in one night. Um, one oversight that we didn't realize was that we, uh, we didn't have enough, uh, bathrooms <laughs> there was two bathrooms in oh, the facility no. for 400 people and so yeah there yeah that was a big big problem like i think that the toilets end up getting clogged and like <laughs> it was a real big mess literally uh, figured sean. um yeah <laughs> i saw sean <laughs> <laughs> and so like that um the problems that we had with that are one we put josh and ryan put all the money into it but i think it was like 30k or so um which sounds like a lot of money but it's not a lot of money when you're talking about a big production, five cameras and, and whatnot. And like, just like we had inexperience at set design. Like I'm a doc filmmaker at heart, like doing something like this was totally different. We just didn't have the budget to really make it look great. And we just didn't have uh, the right team to really, uh, you know, find the right space and, you know, build out the right set and all that stuff. Like that stuff is really, really expensive. There's reasons why Netflix and HBO comedy specials cost hundreds of thousands of dollars. And it's because if mm -hmm. you want to do it right, you have to really put the the money down. And so that was uh, just visually, it just kind of felt kind of congested. The shots weren't looking great. Like, you know, and the, and the background was just like a pure white brick wall, which kind of like sounds cool, but it just felt it was just kind of like too, the stage was too small and there wasn't enough depth and it just felt a little bit awkward. That was like probably the biggest problem. And then on the day of, we also had uh, Josh and Ryan, like we didn't have um, a, a dress rehearsal, which I definitely wish we had done a dress rehearsal because um, Josh ended up wearing these like really tight pants. <laughs> like they were, they were a little bit too tight. I've never even seen him wear these pants any other time, but I think he wanted to go a little bit professional with it. So he like wore these really tight pants and like a button up shirt tucked in and like, and then Ryan straightened his hair and it just looked kind of weird. And he was kept touching his hair the whole time, but like their image, they, they, they didn't really look or, or even feel like themselves. I don't think I mm -hmm. like their whole story is like, we were suit and tie corporate guys and then we became minimalists. And then here they are on stage looking like suit and tie corporate guys. <laughs> and so it was like, that was a big, like it, that, that really just didn't fit right because I just don't think they felt like themselves or and I don't think they look like themselves they just weren't comfortable because it was a lot we had to put a lot on the line we they put their own money into it I put like so much time into like uh planning and producing this thing with them and then directing it um and so sorry about that I'm using Talking. my wife's phone Natalie died. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, sorry about that. It's all true. Uh, I have a heart. I thought that was like, I was like, is that my time for when I have to stop? Uh, I have a heart at, at 10 o'clock, by the way, because Nat's got a, another call in here and we can only do one mm -hmm. call at a time. Oh, yeah. 10 o'clock, my 10 o'clock, my time. So, yeah, so like a half like hour, 12 hours or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so, yeah, basically, uh, it just wasn't it just wasn't working out. And so we decided to just figure out, um, you know, I edited it and, and, you know, we did a couple versions and then we felt okay about it. Like it was all right. We could have released it to Josh and Ryan's audience and all would have been okay. Um, but then we decided, all right, how do we take this thing to the, to a different level? How do we maybe like rethink what we did here and use this as kind of like the foundation to build something different and better. And that's when, uh, I approached Josh and I was like, Hey, why don't we just cut a trailer down from this? Something like two minutes, really compelling. And then we pitch it to Netflix and let's just see if like they can help us, uh, fund this next phase of the project because what we did wasn't working. Maybe they'll see the, you know, they'll see the vision here. 
I, I wasn't really sure they would pick it up. I thought they wouldn't actually, because I was like, uh, like, cause I was like, I didn't really believe in the project at that time with like the way that we had shot it. I was like, Oh, I just don't think that they're, they're going to see this and be like, Oh, we're not going to give these guys money to make a documentary. <laughs> like they're, this looks terrible. And so, but they ended up, they saw it, they believed in the idea and they thought that it had an audience on their platform. And so within a couple months of, uh, of pitching it to them, they agreed to sign on. And then it was like probably a year and a half process of, um, you know, through COVID. COVID probably delayed us by like six months or so. Um, but it was probably uh, a year and a half process of, of producing it and filming it and editing it. And it, we went through 20 versions on the edit. But um, at the end of the day, like it got better and better and better. And every version, it, we pushed it a little bit further. And uh, I'm, I'm really proud of what we put together in the end. Yeah, it's exciting. And yeah, it's coming out in just a couple of weeks. I mean, when will this, this episode will probably come out, I think the week that the doc comes out. So yeah, it's nice. really exciting. But yeah, so I wanted Good to time. dive into YouTube then. So yeah. this is a dramatic shift since like really since we last saw each other is, I mean, you have built an amazing YouTube platform and <laughs> it's like, I guess first in your wildest dreams, what did you sort of expect to to be building and what types of um outcomes did you sort of see yeah my dream was fifteen thousand subscribers <laughs> like that was truly like that's that's when i was like all right if i get fifteen thousand, like that's like I, i'll be successful like that will really feel like something and uh i never in a million years you know just a couple days ago like a day or two ago i just passed three million and like i never could have imagined uh, that that many people would click a button <laughs> because of the uh, <laughs> videos that I've made. But it's really, really, uh, it's really cool. It's really gratifying. I think like you learn a lot of lessons along the way. And like one of them is that like, like a number on a screen doesn't change who you are or it shouldn't. Mm -hmm. Like obviously there are some people that let like fame or um, YouTube fame, whatever it is, like numbers on a screen, Instagram followers change who they are and then they start treating people differently. And that to me is just the most kind of bizarre thing. I think a lot of people are just the way that they are already. Like they've got a bit of an ego. That's why they get into this, this <laughs> kind of world. And then they end up, um, it gets even bigger because of a following that they build. But that's obviously like never the reason why I got into it. I was, I just wanted to for me, it was like we, we put out minimalism and then I was like, that was amazing. Like people responded. People loved the film. And I think it gave me confidence to say, all right, if I could like I want to be able to just do this whenever I want. I want to be able to make any film I want and not have to. I love Josh and Ryan. They're amazing. But then like what if I wanted to do a film on self-development or something like totally different or like, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to make in the future, but I wanted to be able to open up my horizons to create films outside of just minimalism and to be able to do it on my own and create some self-reliance. And so that's when I decided to like shift gears and say, all right, let me just I don't know what it's going to be. I've always been like you guys, like a fan and uh, of like blogs and have always like kept up with like. Um, you know, I mean, the whole blog movement was really one of the early online movements of like creators and, and writers. And so that was hugely inspiring to me, like 2010 or so. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, seeing podcasts rise and I wasn't even big into YouTube. Like I, that's, I thought it was going to be, I was going to be a podcaster. And so like the first thing was just nothing but podcasting. And that was a majority of my effort. Although I luckily started to continue to experiment with filmmaking and, and making videos for myself and finding a style and it was like a year or so of just kind of not I, I, I don't want to say grinding but like it was 
I at one point I just stopped taking all client work. So I stopped making money and I was like, all right, I got like two years <laughs> or a year, maybe, you know, luckily Nat had a full time job and she was doing well. And so I had like some uh, some runway in the bank. And so I was like, all right, let's just like see how far I can push this thing and see if I can get 15,000 subscribers. <laughs> and, and then I, I did get 15,000. What was what was the client work at that time? Was it mostly like so you were like wedding videography and things? What were after the film? What did what did your like career look like when you were starting this? Yeah, so I hadn't done wedding videos in, I guess, a few years, uh, right. since, you know, up until minimalism. That's how I started out. I did like 40 or so, 40 or 50 weddings very early on in my career. Uh, it really helped me to build up a lot of experience. And then like for the few years after that and even during the making of minimalism, I did a lot of, I don't want to say corporate, it was more like startup tech companies between San Francisco and New York you know, doing brand videos for companies. I actually was a documentary was funded through one of these companies called Design Disruptors, uh, which was my second feature doc. And so and was that released it was, anywhere like publicly? Unfortunately, I do not think it ever was. They, okay. you know, it, it, it was a, a company that made it. And so they kind of they did like this whole theatrical run where they did like put it up, uh, you know, have free screenings all over the place where like we filled up like the London Palladium with 2000 people. Granted, oh. they didn't pay for a ticket, but <laughs> like, uh -huh. still That's pretty awesome. cool to be. Yeah. To hear that, um, you know, we filled up the London Palladium. But um, yeah, so it was, you know, mostly like freelance work leading up to it. I forget your initial question. <laughs> was. Oh, no. Yeah, it was mostly just exactly that. Like what was what was where's your income coming from at that time what was mm. your uh freelance the freelancing so yeah so you're doing um yeah more like corporate work startups and things yeah and it was going really well and like that was actually i think that's a difficult decision to make because i was making six figures as a freelancer and it was going well and my income kept rising and i was like oh this is great like i could just keep i could keep doing this forever and then i'd, I'd you know have a really fat bank account in the next decade or so and then to make the decision to be like, all right, well, you know what, actually, I've done this. I've proven that I can do this and I could always come back to it if I want to. But what I haven't proven is that I could kind of build my own thing and, mm -hmm. you know, start my own content business and start a YouTube channel and grow an audience because growing an audience just seemed like the most elusive, far out there thing that would be impossible. It just seemed it seemed like you had to be there at the beginning of the internet to build an audience. Like you had to be at the beginning of MySpace or the beginning of YouTube or the beginning of blogging and catch the ride at the beginning of that wave to be able to do it. And so I was like, YouTube has been around for like eight years. Like how am I possibly going to come in here and make an impact and get seen over all of the noise? And I didn't think it was going to be possible, not to the degree I did. Um, and like, I was like, so I was like, if I could just kind of grind it out and get 15,000 subscribers, I'm sure that would be enough for me to be able to make uh, an income off of this. Like, and I would have been happy with like 40K a year if I could just make whatever I wanted. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a great point because we always feel like it's too late. Like no matter what it is, it's just especially because we're the same way. Like, like you, we haven't built our own audience. We haven't built a community, but we've helped. We've been behind the scenes with like the minimalists and a bunch of other platforms where they've they've built the community we've found the revenue streams we've built sort of the business side of it and so it, it is it feels daunting to just be starting from nothing but the beauty is you built the credibility like your style is part of what i think really set you apart early on because you took and brought filmmaking into youtube mm -hmm. like I, obviously there's filmmakers and there's people doing great stuff but 
you stood out almost from from day one. How would you define what your style is in terms of a content creator? Yeah, I think it's it's interesting you say that because I, I there obviously are there's a whole subset of YouTubers that are filmmakers like Peter mm -hmm. McKinnon and Maddie H and um, Potato Jet, so many uh, and you know Sarah Dietschy, so many amazing creators on YouTube that are also filmmakers that I love. Um, but like, yeah, I think what I brought that was perhaps even different from what they create is more of that documentary style. And it did take me a while to find my footing. And because like I, it wasn't natural for me to put myself on camera to record myself uh, through audio to tell stories in that way, because I had always told other people's stories. Mm -hmm. And like when we did minimalism and when I did client work, my voice was rarely ever in there. I would never be a part of the production that I was making. I would just be filming it and I have to figure out a way to tie these interviews together to make it make sense and make it compelling. Um, and so I kind of took that experience of storytelling and like kind of Frankensteined it together into my own little thing on YouTube. And so, you know, there's different different styles of, uh, on, uh, throughout many of the videos that I make. So like if you look at uh, some videos like I learned how to lucid dream, uh, I forget, was it called? Like, I learned how to lucid dream. I think it was something like that. Just like I, I learned how to lucid dream. I don't know if it was like a 30 day experiment or what, but it was basically like uh, I did an interview with somebody and then I have voiceovers and I, you know, I'm talking to camera and I use the cinematic B-roll to help tie the story together. But then I interweave that interview throughout the piece and it really feels like a documentary. And like this stuff, it's, it's something that like, it's hard for me to say because I wasn't really paying attention much to what other people were doing at the time, which is probably a really good thing. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I didn't really see, I don't think anybody was doing that at the time. And so like, there were probably a couple people that were like close to it, but I think that I came in with maybe a little bit more of the cinematography expertise, a little bit more of the editing chops. I think when it comes to like what made my channel successful, by far it's the editing. Um, you know, I, I've put in so much, I've put in well over my 10,000 hours at editing. And I know that like I can, I can chop up some video. <laughs> so like <laughs> that's usually the easiest thing. And it's also for me the most enjoyable. I truly love it. So like, you know, I could cut some videos in, in, you know, a few hours, maybe a day. It really depends on the complexity of it and like, you know, what's going on. But I never have any doubts there. I always know, like if I have a compelling story that I've written, that I've um, shot and I've got all the pieces I need, then I'm confident I can put it together uh, and I can find the story through that. That's just like the confidence that I've built through doing this for uh, over a decade. But yeah, it was like the style kind of found itself. Like I started out um, doing... The first video that really broke, I don't know why I even got, well, there were two early videos that I did that were in the style that eventually evolved into really being my voice. Because if you look very early on, 2017, you'll see some like Casey Neistat type vlogs. Because like mm -hmm. I saw Casey Neistat and I was like, oh, okay, like I'll, <laughs> I guess I'll just do vlogging. And then I'm like, I'm just like, I'm not good at vlogging. <laughs> so that, well, that didn't also, work out. Um, I, I know I nudged you a little bit because we were, we were talking at that time sort of about what you're doing. And I was like, oh, Casey does great stuff. He has like a narrative, like a three act arc in the things. But yeah, sorry. No. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You led me astray, man. What'd you do? <laughs> I do remember that, though. I, I mean, I hit you guys up. Um, I hit Anthony Ungaro up, Josh Milburn. And if mm -hmm. just that's pretty much it. And I was like, hey, guys, I need advice. And I think this is like really good for anybody who's like just kind of getting into it. It's like reach out to people that you know that are doing it um, and, and see what they've learned and see if they can give you any advice along the way. And so and then it's just really helpful to have 
kind of a close circle that understands what you're going through. And then like if you have any trouble along the way, you can always bounce ideas off them. But that was that was hugely helpful because part of that was the experimentation. And like I didn't become a, a full time vlogger like Casey Neistat, but like I do now include vlog style elements into my videos that I think help to elevate them and add more to them than would otherwise if I didn't have those. So it's like it's kind of again, it's like the Frankenstein approach where you're just taking a bunch of things and um, trying to tell the most compelling story that you can with it. Um, but yeah, it was like the first two videos that I made that really, I think, started to set the tone was I think one video was along the lines of like how I travel simply. And it was I just shot like a vlog, not even a vlog. It was just like really beautiful B-roll of like a trip to Hawaii that uh, my wife and I took. And so we I shot all that footage and then I just recorded voiceover about how traveling light and, you know, being a minimalist or blah, blah, blah. And then like that video didn't really like take off, but it was like I, I felt good about it. I was like, oh, this is kind of fun. It's kind of like a little manifesto type video, um, a little bit corny, probably looking back on it. But I was like, this is like a change in direction because it's polished, it's tight, it tells a compelling story. And then the, the very next one after that was uh, My Minimalist Apartment. And that was mm -hmm. like, I had seen other people create apartment tours and minimalist apartment tours. And I was like, I can do that. And then I just brought my own little cinematography to it. I added a little bit of humor. I had, you know, beautiful music and a voiceover of me talking about my place. And then it was like five minutes or yeah, less than five minutes. And I put it up online and then it just, the views just kept coming in. And then that's like, you know, the first week it was 20,000 views and then a hundred thousand. And then it was my first video to break a million. And then I was like, oh my God, that was just an apartment tour video. <laughs> like <laughs> what have I been doing for the past year and a half? Like I should have like done that in the beginning, uh -huh. but then I just set the tone for the style. And like, I was like, oh, okay. When I invest time and energy and I really try to make something special, people pay attention. And also, obviously, I, I made something that was searchable, that was clickable, that mm -hmm. was like something that people wanted to, to look at. But it was also the fact that I just like I took a lot of time to make a really great video. Yeah. And I'm curious because I think a big part of the appeal of everything that you do is you're documenting like you you set out on these challenges. I mean, because obviously you have the things like uh, minimalist tour, the apartment and things like that. But setting out on your 30 day challenges, it's you're bringing people along for the ride. So you've created sort of a reason for the video and people can really relate to you. Um, I'm curious, since it is a documentation of your experience, what does your writing process look like? Because the script and everything that you do is... I think key like it's a it's a huge part of the the preparation but I'm curious like about your approach to planning for a video and writing and whatnot yeah so I think each one's a little bit different if I'm doing a simple video that's like five things I learned from my 20s or something like that like you can just write the thing <laughs> like from <laughs> beginning to end and it doesn't take a ton uh but like those aren't as fun for me those are sometimes that those feel more like work for me and so mm -hmm. I try to do that less and less often but sometimes you're like in a creative rut and you're like I just need to do this to get through to make the next one and so the videos that I really love doing like are videos like the 30-day experiments because they do feel like a journey and it's it, they're really fun and like often come up with like really fun and you know interesting sketches and different ways to kind of document that that journey but that the process of those is, is kind of interesting so I generally I'll usually start filming a couple of things on, on day one of like, hey, I'm, you know, I'm about to start this journey, blah, blah, blah. 
um, or a, like kind of if it's important, like so say, for instance, taking cold showers for 30 days, you want to get that first cold shower. That's like a big <laughs> moment in the video. And so like um, I obviously like captured from day one everything. Sometimes I'll go about it. Um, documenting it by writing out how I feel through like the first week or two. And then I'll just vlog different moments. If I'm having a particularly hard day with intermittent fasting, like, oh my God, I just like want a burrito right now, but I can't eat it. Like I'll just grab the vlog camera and then I'll just kind of film some stuff and then throw that into a folder and kind of just compile those kind of vlog elements to, to piece it together. And then towards, you know, maybe halfway through, I can start to write it because I'm starting to get an idea of where this thing's going. And then really in like the final week, I can I can really write like the full video, uh, figuring out where I can patch in these vlog style pieces. Um, sometimes I can shoot like all the A-roll, which is just like me, the kind of the polished direct to camera um, at one point during the end. And like, you know, I just I'll start it, I might start out the video by being like, you know, uh, you know, so I decided to experiment with this to see what would happen. Right. And it's like, cause a lot of times you feel like, like, Oh my God, well, I missed the first day. So I didn't get the same. I'm about to start this journey, but you're like, <laughs> you don't have to do that. You can kind of, you can tell the story in a way that's after the fact. But I always say too, like, I think the one thing that separated my videos apart and like the, my experiment videos is that I always showed people what the process was like versus just telling them because there's so many videos online of like, like, and I, I looked them up after I put out my video and like, they would pop up in my feed. Like I tried cold showers for 30 days and I'd watch them. And it was just a video of somebody talking for 10 minutes on camera about them taking cold showers. And I was like, people want to see it. People want to like mm -hmm. see the experience. They want to see the pain and what you went through and what you learned from the thing. Um, but yeah, so like the final week is of, of a 30 day experiment is when I really do a majority of my filming. I'll get like really intentional. I'll create a full shot list of like if it's cold showers, I want like close up of the handle turning and all these different things that can help me patch the video together. Uh, and then uh, the voiceovers and sometimes I'll kind of come up with like these little sketches that we can put in the middle of it just to add a little bit of humor. YouTube yeah, humor. Those, <laughs> in the those video. are great. Like all the humor. I love how you <laughs> inject all the humor in. It's just so much fun. Like. There's, there's one thing. So I want to ask you just how it is dealing with fame because now like you are a personality. You There's a subreddit, Matt Diavella. I You've probably come across it, but I had no idea there is a Matt Diavella subreddit with people in there devoting their time to just talking about you and what you're up to. It's just pretty wild. But how, how have you sort of dealt with this new... Uh, this new persona, because I mean, there isn't, there's sort of the character of Matt, which there's so many different ways I can go with this. I know you don't, you don't have too much time, so I don't want to go too deep, mm -hmm. but um, you sort of have like Matt versus like the Matt on screen. But knowing you personally, I feel like those versions are very, very similar, if not truly you, which I think is sort of rare. How have you dealt with the experience of building such a large platform and being someone that people look towards and recognize? Well, I think, uh, well, to answer the, the one part of your question, I think if, if there's any part of me that's like not, uh, that actually doesn't line up with who I actually am, if you watch my videos versus knowing me in person, it's that like, I'm not as polished <laughs> like, or, uh, you know what I mean? Like it takes me a lot of time to like think through these ideas and like, 
uh, I could just kind of riff off the top of my head about, uh, you know, a particular topic like productivity. But I know that I could do a much better job if I sat down, write it out and really kind of thought it through to make sure I say something that's really going to help and add value. So I would say I'm not as polished in real life, but like I do, I do appreciate that. Like I do try to just be as much as myself as possible. Oh, hold on a second. We got a phone call coming in. Oh yeah, it's all good. <laughs> that might be a, a health checkup. Mm. Sorry, one second. Yeah. <laughs> they do like health checkups every day, um, mm. just to make sure that you don't have a cough or scratchy throat or anything. Oh, gotcha. And they, uh, they might be telling us that we have COVID. <laughs> I don't. Know. Okay. What was that? Oh, linen change today. Oh, Exciting. Good day. Yeah. Look at that. <laughs> yeah, we've dirty sheets for a week and now we get to change them. So that's cool. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. So, um, you know, where was I? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. You were asking about like fame and stuff. I don't know. It's weird. Cause I, like to, to be totally honest, like in the beginning, um, you get a little bit paranoid, I think, like when it first started happening and like it, like it feels silly even saying this, but sometimes when I got recognized for the first time in person, then all of a sudden you start to think about like, oh my God, does everybody notice me? Does everybody <laughs> recognize me? And they don't. Yeah. <laughs> they, nobody, nobody does. Um, but it is like, I'm, I always get surprised if somebody, you know, recognize me, recognizes me in person. I think what's really beautiful about the lane that I've carved out on YouTube uh, and others who have done a similar thing to myself is that I'm talking about self-development and productivity. And so, like, it's there is YouTube celebrity and, like, genuine celebrity and, like, TikTokers and stuff that are famous and, like, they have a primarily younger audience with tons of time on their hands and like they're like ringing their doorbells and they're showing up at their house. I've never had somebody show up at my house. You know, I've never, it, it's, there's the level of, if you want to call it fame that I have, uh, it's fully, it's, it's great. Cause I don't even feel it. <laughs> you know, it's like, I do get recognized from time to time, obviously like with COVID, I don't go outside. So <laughs> that's been a different experience, but like it, it doesn't happen that often to where it changes my life. And every time that somebody does recognize me, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's just cool. And I'm always like taken back and surprised. And I, I always try to like ask questions and, and learn a little bit about them. Um, but it's, um, I don't know, it's, it's hard to say. Cause like at the end of the day, like for the most part, my experience with it are numbers on a screen mm -hmm. and like, it's not, you know, you're not a rock star. You're not up on stage in front of a hundred thousand people. Like you're, you, you, you get, you put a video out there and then you have, maybe 500,000 people watch it independently in the comfort of their own home. <laughs> so it's, um, it's cool. Like it, it allows me to do more, uh, creative things. It allows me to get, um, uh, kind of take my time to figure out what I want to build. And, you know, now I can do a feature documentary and release it straight to my audience. And that's something I can do now that I didn't have the power to do before. So there's a, you know, there's a lot that I'm grateful for with it. Absolutely. And it, it just gives so much more opportunity because you are the channel that you're able to send things out mm -hmm. from. Um, so real quick, I just wanted to touch on the business of YouTube and like what that, because going in, I'm sure you knew like ad revenue, but like over time you get like sponsorships and then you set up Patreon, you have your course, sort of what, what was your approach to monetization? And maybe for someone just starting out, what kind of advice could you give them? Yeah. So in the very beginning, I didn't monetize anything. I don't know if you remember, like in yeah. the very beginning, I, I, I didn't, I just, uh, 
I didn't even do Patreon for a while. I was like, I just need to make something popular first. You know, if, if people aren't coming, then I'm not going to make money. Oh, man, sorry. <laughs> it's like the worst podcast. <laughs> I'm a terrible person. Oh, shit. We only have five minutes. Too. Yeah, sorry. I know. Yeah, that's all. Just this one thing, then we'll let you go. <laughs> yeah, no, we, yeah, we'll have to do this again another time. But um, so basically, yeah, I didn't monetize for the longest time. And I decided to just kind of um, I was like, just because I, I was like, let me make something popular first. Like if people start coming and start watching my videos and it gets big enough that I can monetize it in some way, then I'll figure out that decision later. So I started out with Patreon and that was great. The problem with Patreon, as a lot of people will learn, is that if you do want a lot of people coming, you need to promote it constantly like you need to make because you're going to have churn every month so people are going to be leaving so you need to promote it and you also need to give them a reason to stay <clears throat> and so that means or to even sign up in the beginning so you have to create additional content and so in the beginning i think i over promised with too much like i'm doing vlogging i'm doing all this stuff and i'm and i'm like oh my god i'm burning out <laughs> uh -huh. so i um i pulled it back and now i just do a secret podcast um and i don't even promote it that much um but like so that was like kind of that got me through the first year of monetization and it did really well. And then again, I was like, oh, man, like I'm like, I feel like I'm working so freaking hard to keep this Patreon going and this when I could just click a button, I was like, I could click a button and then I could, you know, maybe even make up for all of that Patreon money by just turning ads on. Mm -hmm. And so it was tough because for a year I said, all right, like, guys, support this channel. I'm trying to stay ad free, whatever. Clicking that button was the best thing I ever did. <laughs> it's it's like it made my life so much easier. Mm -hmm. I was able to hire my brother full time, uh, which is like really the thing that I'm most proud of. Natalie left her job shortly after I did that um, to pursue her own thing. Now she's kicking ass and like she, as a freelancer having her own business. She never would have known that that was possible or like I don't know if she would have felt fully comfortable doing it without the padding of the extra income I was bringing in. And so... I'm just so glad I did it because it's it's made my life maybe a little bit better because I don't have to work as hard, but it's also improved the lives of those the people around me, which is which is amazing. But um, in terms of just like the straight uh, monetization stuff, like yeah, like so you have Google AdSense, which now uh, YouTube just said that they're gonna make every channel monetize basically. So mm -hmm. basically, whether you want to or not, they're gonna be monetizing your videos. Oh, so, okay. Um, so you might as well just. Do it if you want to uh, get paid, or they'll just take the money from you. Yeah. Um, so it's basically, actually, you, you, it's actually that ad, the ad revenue from that is much. Uh, it performs much better than I ever uh, imagined. Just from the stuff that I've seen, I feel like people have been talking a lot lately and actually sharing numbers, which for the longest time seemed like nothing, mm -hmm. like something people couldn't do. But it actually mm -hmm. that is a shifting point for you. Then you you said, yeah, yeah, it's significant. Um, it's it 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 like I think. The AdSense, it's changed obviously over time, but I think it like literally made up for Natalie's salary, which was like, that's awesome. That's like a significant amount of money. Um, and then, but really like you actually do make more money through integrations, which is like mm -hmm. Squarespace and Skillshare and, and other people that you might want to partner up with um, to, to do like a little ad read in your videos. The one thing that I recommend for people if they're getting into it is like, I guess it depends on like your audience or whatever, but I've talked to people who have large audiences as well that didn't realize that you could push back against their requests. <laughs> so some, <laughs> like some people will be like, hey, like you need to mention this in the first minute of your video. And I'm like, ah, it's going to ruin my video. It's going to ruin the flow. I don't want to do that. And then they're like, okay. <laughs> so like you can't, you can push back. You can say, oh, I don't want to do this. Or, you know, I turn now I turn down so many integrations. Like I, I've gotten to the point where I did too many and I did two to three a month. Um, and it was just, it felt like, 
even if I got busy, I couldn't say no because I had a contract that mm -hmm. I, I had signed up to. So now the only thing I have, I have Squarespace pretty much for the next year, once a month. And that's like the only integrations that I have. Um, but th those are like a, a, a amazing source of revenue. Then you have, I do courses. I just built a course platform. You could do a Skillshare. I think it's better for creators to kind of own their own content and not mm -hmm. give it away to anybody else. Like yeah, I'm on the same this is like the whole that. record. Yeah, it's a record label thing. It's like, mm -hmm. don't give somebody else ownership to your content. You own it forever. You sell it for as long as you want. Um, and that's that's been just amazing. And it's just really rewarding to be able to, to build your own thing and to own your own courses. And I think you and I come from the same world where it's like we've always seen people create their own courses. I'm like, I, I'm a content creator. I'm a filmmaker. I don't need anybody's help making a course. Uh -huh. um, I can do it myself. And like I have the distribution platform. Uh, all I have to do is kind of, you know, there's you could do a teachery or you could do, you know, build your own thing. And there's there's lots of different ways to do it um, that that don't take a huge cut of your final payment. I think that's like, am I missing anything? I think that pretty much covers you know? it. <laughs> I mean, like in I think terms of major sponsorships, the one thing I just wanted to ask, is that something you mm -hmm. are pitching or is that, I mean, because at this point I imagine inbound is plenty, but early stages when you're like, I have a big enough platform, are they recognizing it or are you recognizing that I should go out and find this? It's a little bit of both. When I first, I mean, I have a, a company, Space Station, that they manage all those integrations. And so they'll oh, come okay. to me and be like, hey, and, and like, Truthfully, there's not a ton of companies that are advertising on YouTube. I and mean, there's a reason why you see Skillshare, Squarespace, Audible in like most videos. It's because there's only like five companies, big companies that are doing it. Um, you have all those VPN companies, but I'm, I'm, I don't work with any of them just because like I'm only going to promote something that I actually use or give value from. Mm -hmm. And so... Uh, that just has never made sense. So I do get a lot of people in my DMs being like, hey, like sign up, do this D like this VPN thing. Can you promote this? And so um, that hasn't quite worked out. Um, but yeah, like it's it's a it's a little bit of a mix of both. But now since I like have established, I'm not like seeking any other integration partners. I'm like, and I, I, like if I could just go with Squarespace for the rest of the year, I'm like, that's great. It's solid. It's like they're, they're they sign a long term contract. Uh, and so it's more of like a partnership for the year. And then I don't have to think about it. <laughs> I make the yeah. decision once and then we're good. Yeah, makes sense. And I know you have the hard out. So we'll just, we'll try it right there. We should definitely do a round two at some time and just, just to chat and, and I'll keep in touch. I know you're busy, but this is great. Thanks yeah, for dude, the yeah, out. yeah, of course, man. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, I definitely want to, uh, I want to catch up uh, more, less formally next time where maybe yeah. we'll have a beer or something. Yeah, for sure. That'd be awesome. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, yeah. All right. Take thanks, easy. man. See ya. I want to thank Matt for joining me on this episode. Be sure to check out the trailer for his brand new documentary, The Minimalists Less Is Now, which is streaming on Netflix starting on January 1st. And also be sure to check out his YouTube channel, uh, just Matt Diavella. He's, he produces some wonderfully entertaining content. So definitely, definitely check it out. That's Matt Diavella. And as always, this episode of Starting Now is brought to you by Built. Built is our platform for getting you started online. Whether you want to start a blog or a business, head on over to built.co. That's BYLT.co to get started. Built. Your website, built for you simply. Finally, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out the video version on YouTube. You'll find all the links for this episode at built.co slash 021. Well, that'll do it for this week. Again, I'm Jeff Saris. This has been Starting Now, and I'll see you next time.